Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by... Business editor and columnist, Greg Jefferson. Investigative reporter, Brian Chasnoff. And uh, we hope everyone had a had a great Thanksgiving. We're, we're uh, going to devote this week's podcast to kind of uh, looking at uh, what might happen uh, going forward in the, the 2022 midterms. We're just a little bit past the midway point uh, between the 2020 election, which put Joe Biden uh, in, in office and uh, along with a Democratic House and Senate, and uh, next November's midterms, um, which Republicans are already um, really optimistic about, uh, given Biden's uh, low poll numbers, and just the history that we have with with presidents in in their first term uh, midterms. So uh, in Texas, we got some news on Sunday that uh, actor Matthew McConaughey uh, is not going to run for governor. I think most of us thought that that was probably going to be the case, but he is. Uh, we know now that the governor's race is almost certainly going to be a one-on-one matchup between Republican incumbent Greg Abbott and Democratic challenger Beto O'Rourke. And so what we're going to be talking about is the midterms, the kind of the, the kind of the politics of the moment and how this is going to affect Texas races, because it's it's everything that we're seeing at the national level is, is going to trickle down to the Texas race. Um, so I want to start off uh, and, you know, we, we've seen recent polls where uh you know, President Joe Biden's approval ratings are under 40 percent. Uh, it's been pretty consistent that in recent months. Uh, the number has been pretty low for him. And Brian, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on like when you look at the issues, your, your sense about the, the issues that are really driving the sort of discontent that voters have um, right now with with Joe Biden. What What stands out to you? Well, I mean, everyone's daily lives continue to be impacted by by COVID, uh, whether that's Biden's fault or not. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. and then with the, the the news about the the new variant, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this uncertainty around that. I mean, that should be resolved uh, for better or worse. You know, this you know within the next few weeks, knowing whether or not this is going to be a a new crushing wave of the pandemic or or just a blip, but. Yeah. Um, uh, needless to say, that's that's still impacting everyone's daily life. And then, you know, just inflation is just uh, it's just a huge issue for for the president. Um, and uh, it's just the 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 daily the daily pressures are are really hammering his administration right now. Brian mentioned inflation, and I think that's one of the things that that is. Um, is certainly a big problem for Biden right now, and one that could, if it if it continues uh, into twenty twenty two, I think is something that we would would have to worry Democrats a lot. Um, but you know, one of the things that's interesting about this is how it's getting played. You know, people in that office routinely get uh, credited for things that they had very little <laughs> to do with, and blamed for things that they had very that's little right. to do with. Yeah. 
And so when you come to inflation, yeah. I mean, there is an argument that Republicans are making that the cause of inflation mm-hmm. right now is just too much money in the economy, which, you know, all this money that was pumped in by the American Rescue Plan Act earlier mm-hmm. this year. And then, you know, the the right. counter argument is that this is just a supply chain issue um, brought on by COVID. These were pre-existing conditions uh, when Biden took office. Mm-hmm. Greg, you know, you, you cover business, you cover the economy. I mean, what's your sense about what the, the primary pro- issue is with, with the inflation I mean, that we're seeing? One of the, yeah, yeah, one of the main, you know, one of the major causes of inflation right now is the labor shortage. I mean, you've got, yeah. um, you know, you've got a lot of employers who cannot fill uh, open positions. So, you know, to do that, they're having to raise raise wages, and that just has you know that has a chain reaction that results in much higher inflation. There's no reason to think this is going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're still in a labor shortage. You see it every day, um, and that's that's really largely what's driving, or, or that's a big component of the inflation we're seeing. Uh, so, you know, that's that's going to linger. Nobody knows when, uh, you know, the labor shortage is going to be over. Um, not going to be there anything that Biden soon. could do about it. I and mean, then, is there is there anything that, that that any steps that he could take? I mean, he's I know he's trying at this point. but I mean, you know, you, sure. I mean, he can always, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve, which, you know, oversees monetary policy for the country. It's independent of the White House. But, you know, the president can always exert, you know, influence, can lean on the Federal Reserve. Uh, but, you know, the, the options aren't great. I mean, they could do, uh, you know, you know, Gilbert, you might remember this. <laughs> I do. Paul Volcker <laughs> in the early 80s yeah. went to war against inflation. Basically, right. he did it by creating a recession, <laughs> you know, and we're it's just coming out, you know, we're, we're coming out of a deep economic trough brought on by the pandemic. Uh, do we really want, you know, uh, the Fed, you know, sending the country through shock treatment? which could result in another uh, recession? Probably not. I think, you know, given given the choice between higher prices and a recession, I think we'll take higher prices. And they're not as, obviously, they're not as bad as they were in the early 80s, like the, the inflation numbers. Uh, and there's no reason to think they're going to get that high. But, you know, they're, yeah. they are, they're, you know, we're seeing inflation at a higher rate than we've seen in a very long time. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's creating a lot of political problems for, for Biden. Uh, you know, Brian, one of the things that that's obvious is that uh, in addition to the uh, inflation problem, that Republicans are really going to emphasize uh, culture war issues, social wedge issues in 2022, probably more than, than uh, we've even seen in past elections. And we're looking at... Um, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, um, political correctness, so-called cancel culture. Um, and I, I wondered wh- how effective you think this is going to be. In, in Texas, particularly, I think this is kind of complicated because we've got a governor, Greg Abbott, who's not real popular at the moment himself because of uh, questions about how well he's dealt with the, our power grid problems, how well he's dealt with the, the pandemic and we've got those those questions coming into play in Texas politics, but we've also got Republicans really sort of hammering these 
culture war issues, which they really worked hard during this legislative session. How effective do you think this is going to be for them? Well, I think I think Abbott is a fascinating case when it comes to this because mm-hmm. to me the the social issue that will loom the largest is uh, related to the pandemic and uh, masking versus not masking, vaccine mandates, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, y- y'all might have a different opinion about what social issues will come to the fore, but and Abbott's fascinating in this because you'll recall uh, last year he he was. Uh, you know, he, he caught a lot of flack from the right on his stances and he slowly, you know, the, the, the flack that he caught slowly, you know, corroded his position to where now I think that he's, you know, any sort of mandate related to the pandemic would be a non-starter for, for him. Um, but, uh, you know, do people remember how shaky that was for Abbott and how, you know, how upset it made some of those on the far right. I, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think, Rick? Oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think, I think we're in for, uh, another wave of, uh, coronavirus panic and the real thing. I mean, I mean, Omicron is obviously the real deal. Uh, Abbott, I think, you know, I think Brian's right. He'll be, he's kind of stuck, um, anything he does uh, to take, you know, any kind of uh, precautionary step he might take is going to be uh, trouble for his base, which really wants to see very little, uh, very little in the way of uh, precautions. So, you know, I think, you know, I think he's going to stick to it. I, I, I would have a difficult time seeing uh, Abbott. Uh, changes stripes uh, from you know what we've seen over the last few months. I, I expect almost nothing from him uh, in terms of uh, you know mask restrictions, uh, you know capacity restrictions, anything like that. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And the politics are so complicated because you'll even see some Republicans saying, well, uh, Joe Biden didn't do a good enough job of getting the country vaccinated. And that's why we're still vulnerable when we know he's pretty much been going to extreme lengths um, to try to to get the numbers up for for vaccinations, and in the face of at least some Republican uh, officials, um, sort of encouraging people to distrust uh, the vaccine. Um, one of the things that really that I've, I've I've thought about recently is how it's early and things can change a lot from uh, November. 2021 to November 2022, but there there are elements of Joe Biden's situation that remind me somewhat of, of Jimmy Carter. Um, in that Jimmy Carter had some had some bad luck. He had Arab oil embargo that that uh, helped to drive up, uh, you know, just created a, a real sense of frustration in the country. Um, it drove uh, prices up and. For most of my adult life, when new Democrats have come on the national scene, I've heard Republicans say, oh, so-and-so, I think this was done with Obama, certainly done with others, you know, uh, they want to send us back to the tax and spend, you know, liberal ways of Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter was actually an austerity president. He was somebody who was obsessed with balancing the budget and uh, was, you know, determined to cut what he considered to be wasteful spending. And that's why he got a Democratic challenge. 
uh, from the left, right, from Ted Kennedy. So he's kind of he was kind of held up as this is the, the problem with liberalism when he was really a pretty moderate figure. Joe Biden is a has been a pretty moderate Democrat for most of his career, and he's kind of. Uh, I think Republicans tend to not necessarily try to make him out to be some kind of radical. They tend to say that he's inept and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's there's been cognitive decline and that he's basically being dominated by people further left than him. But it, it's that same sense that there's some there's some element of bad luck in in this, that there's things that are a little bit out of his control. I mean, I, I don't know if you see well, that way. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, with Joe Biden, I mean, yeah, it's it's bad luck. His timing is horrible. But when he was running for office, this was all inevitable. I mean, nobody thought yeah, that's this right. was going to go away. Over that's right. I mean, we knew the pandemic was with us for a long time to come. Um, I, so, yeah, I mean, the timing, you know, the the circumstance he finds himself in uh, is terrible. It was totally foreseeable. <laughs> I mean, this was <laughs> this could not be a surprise to him or to, you know, any any of his supporters. Uh, and he is. I mean, he's he's in a, a really uh, tough spot. And I think you're you're kind of bringing up Jimmy Carter is. Yeah, I think that that might be that might be pretty apt, um, although he was dealing, you know, when he he, he was the first post Watergate president sure. after after Gerald Ford. And I think he had much higher hopes for his presidency uh, than the oil crisis hit. Uh, inflation took off, unemployment took off, and then you know you had the Iranian hostage situation. Not, I mean, you know, these aren't. In some ways, it's not quite as dramatic for right. Joe Biden, but you've got a very long, slow slog recovering from this pandemic. I, 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 I mean, I mean, for me, for me personally, I feel like. Uh, you know, and of course, I'm coming from a different perspective than a lot of voters in Texas, but mm. with. The previous president, it felt like we were teetering on the edge of a catastrophe every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, with Biden, it, 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 there, there seems to be a bit of a you know promises unkept and you know mm-hmm. a bit of you know a sense of disappointment. But there's not the, <laughs> there's not this panicked feeling of you know <laughs> you, you, you know, know why that is constitutional crisis yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy not feeling a sense of, of, of alarm every waking minute of my life. Yeah, so, yeah. What did he like say today? It, it yeah. is. It's kind of a. Yeah, exactly. It's like we don't have to doom doom scroll every morning to find out what the president, what crazy thing he said overnight that's going to put us all in danger. <laughs> I thought it was no, funny. That's exactly right. And and. I, it, I was just going to say, and I, I don't know how, I mean, for me, that's, a, <laughs> that's very motivating that, that distinction <laughs> that, you know, uh, and yeah. I don't know if, if, if other people uh, have the same feeling uh, that would perhaps, um, you know, uh, not allow the Republicans to, to sweep Democrats quite as horribly uh, mm-hmm. next year, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. Well, it was funny. You all were talking about tweets. And, and I think it was a few months ago, uh, U.S. Senator John Cornyn from Texas was uh, criticizing Biden. And I think one of the things that he <laughs> he said was, you know, his, his the, the tweets he sends out are just kind of like official kind of White House statements, almost, you know, just kind of like press release kind of statements. And it was, you know, this was, this was meant as a bad thing. And I think a lot of people responded at least at that time, you know, saying, well, it's actually, it's not so bad to have a president who is not just like going on some like 
personal like attack against somebody that that they don't like you know that he's just actually just telling you what the white house is doing that day i mean you know that right. yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely like, i mean it was a it was a daily uh a dose of of just toxicity from yeah. from trump and well, yeah go ahead yeah Cornyn's tweet was really interesting to me uh like at the time it the when i first saw it i almost thought it was a joke like he was being ironic because you know i like i I've, I think, uh, you know, I, I think John Cornyn is, is a very sharp, highly intelligent guy. And I, I think he's, you know, he is a capable politician. And I guess I just couldn't accept that, like, his idea of leadership has been so degraded under, under Trump and Trumpism that now suddenly he thinks it's unpresidential to not, you know, anger tweet every morning. <laughs> I mean, to me, that was just remarkable. It like was. That's, so that seriously. So, Senator Cornyn, you seriously think that, you know, outrageous tweets is now part of the job of president. And if you don't do it, you're not actually doing your job. I mean, you to me, that was just incredible. It was, And I think that it was coming from this place that the Republicans were, were saying it. I think... Uh, you know, the, that Biden has not been out and about and, you know, that we don't see him as often as, as we've maybe seen other recent presidents, uh, some some kind of perception that's maybe being pushed by Republicans that that Biden is maybe being hidden in some way because he's not really up to uh, he's not up to a lot of questions and he's not up to a lot of like, uh, you know, right, right. Uh, interaction with the media. But I think but I think focusing on tweeting just seemed to be <laughs> that was kind of an odd way of, 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 well, of coming and, at that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you can kind of understand it because under under Trump, you know, he did make so many policy pronouncements mm-hmm. by Twitter. And, right. you know, he <laughs> in the ugliest possible way, he would hire and fire on Twitter. I mean, it was, it was his, it was his megaphone. So, I mean, I guess I can see where they're coming from in that, in that regard. Like he did, he abused Twitter and pretended to govern that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe they just got used to it. One of the things I was thinking about is, you know, the, uh, I mean, the pattern of, uh, presidents in their, in their, uh, first term, facing, uh, having their parties face tough midterms. I mean, um, you know, obviously it had a lot to do with the specific circumstances, but if you go back at least to like Lyndon Johnson, 1966, he was starting to deal with some disenchantment with the Vietnam war and so on, but pretty much every president we've seen since then, I think the big exception was George W. Bush, who was, was very popular at the time of his, the first midterms in, t- in 2002, because of a lot of goodwill that came to him, uh, off of the, the nine 11 attacks. But uh, but generally speaking, going back decades, this is what happens to to uh, presidents uh, and or what happens to the to their party. And one of the things I was thinking about related to San Antonio is that we've got an an open seat for county judge uh, in 2022. We already have some sense of of who might be running. Um, We had Ina Minhadas on the podcast last week, a state representative. She's running. Um, f- former Judge Peter Sakai is running. A mayor, a former Mayor Ed Garza, uh, thought about running. Um, uh, Eva Lee uh, Mesa Gonzalez from the, the Ron Nuremberg's uh, Ron Nuremberg's chief of staff has has said that she's thinking about running. Um, these are all Democratic candidates, and I guess the question I would ask you th- this, Greg, is: Is there any? Uh, 
opening there for a Republican. I mean, the most, the, the closest race, the most competitive race that I can remember uh, with uh, the county judge uh, race was in 2014 when we had former city councilman Carlton Soles uh, running as a Republican, challenging Nelson Wolf, and he got within about 8%. That was a really good Republican wave year. And even with that Republican wave behind him, he he got you know he got you know it was a competitive race, but he couldn't get closer than about eight uh, percent. Is there any opening that you could see, given uh, you know, uh, what we might be seeing? Uh, it would be tough. I, I don't think so, honestly. I think uh, you know I, I would love to see uh, Lyle Larson get into the race. Um, I think you know I think he would bring a really you know given uh his rebellion against the Republican party and the fact that he's he doesn't embrace the democratic party agenda i mean he he does seem to be his own person i I think he could really inject some really interesting ideas into a county judge's race in, in bear county uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, and even at that, I just think that he's he would just just on a partisan basis have a really difficult time. I mean, you know, the last Republican county judge we had was Cindy Taylor Cryer. And she, you know, a lot of a lot of her uh, a lot of her appeal was, you know, it was kind of based in her person. I mean, you, you know, you didn't look at her and think Republican. You you just thought <laughs> Cindy Taylor Cryer, former state senator, uh, fairly moderate uh, very personable, and she had a she had a she had a big vision. I think for for the county. I mean, we forget that you know she when when the Spurs were you know talking about uh, a new arena, she's really the one who you know it the AT and T Center is where it is, and it is what it is because of her. Um, and you know she she brought the public along for good or ill. I mean, there are, you know, that was probably the, one of the biggest capital projects under her. Um, and, you know, there, there, there's a lot to criticize there, but she brought the public along. Uh, you know, they, they supported, you know, the, the election that brought it, the financing about, uh, but I, you know, I think that time has passed. I think, it, I think any Republican candidate is just going to have a really difficult time in Bear County. Especially, you know, with with as polarized as our politics are these days. Yeah. Well, uh, we're about two weeks away from the the filing deadline for the twenty twenty two primaries, and so uh, we're going to know a lot more, uh, you know, as we when we come back for our, our next podcast. Does, does anyone do we know why McConaughey? I was going to say, do we know why McConaughey bailed? He, it was a very, uh, I thought it was a pretty long, I guess it was about three minutes, but it felt really long. Uh, his, <laughs> his, uh, explanation. <laughs> it was, and it, it was, was like his Oscar. Yeah. Speech. Yeah. It was pretty much like that. Um, and yeah. it was kind of, it was basically talking about leadership and people stepping forward, but then he was using that as a, as a preface to, to announcing that he wasn't going to step forward. And I think he said that he's going to focus on trying to help entrepreneurs and people who can create jobs and do things. In Texas, so it, it was that sort of thing. But but the funny thing is, he was saying that I've learned a lot about Texas politics along the way, and and there have been some indications in recent interviews that he 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 didn't even I don't think he had the even the most rudimentary understanding of of, this, of how Texas government works, and uh, I think that had been exposed a little bit in recent interviews, and would have been more exposed pretty quickly once he got in the race. Uh, 
So I always kind of felt that this, when he first started talking about this, uh, this was shortly after he had uh, published uh, a memoir or uh, I I think it's autobiography or memoir or whatever it was. And it felt to me like this was kind of a a book promotional uh, gimmick and... um, I still kind of think that's what was happening. I don't, I don't know. Maybe but, it just got it, away from him. But the yeah. weird thing is that in recent polls, he saw, thing. you know, yeah. him, he was, be, you know, uh, Abbott was 37%, uh, McConaughey 27%. I think this was the Dallas Morning News uh, recent poll. Uh, McConaughey 27, Beth O'Rourke 26. So this was, it, it may have not stayed that way. It probably wouldn't have, but we were looking at a real, the possibility of a real three person race if he had done this. And I just don't see how that would have been no matter what side of the fence you're on, I don't see how this would have been a positive thing for Texas to have somebody who's uh, just mm. kind of on an ego trip and sort of just kind of okay. um, just muddying up the race as far as I can tell. I don't know. What do you all think? I'm, I'm sure Beto is is glad. <laughs> I yes. mean, I still think that McConaughey's candidacy would have hurt him, you know, O'Rourke more than than. Greg Abbott. Sure. Uh, so I'm sure he's relieved. To me, it was kind of, I mean, you're right. Like he, so his, he was polling. Okay. Uh, but you know, the, the first time he makes a verbal gaffe or mm-hmm. exposes how very little he knows about, you know, Texas state government, mm-hmm. like it would have cratered, <laughs> but even at that, you know, it would have done damage to Beto O'Rourke's campaign. I would think more so than, than Abbott's. Yeah, and it, you know it's it's somewhat uh, similar, maybe, to uh, Ross Perot in nineteen ninety two. I mean, people always forget that Ross Perot was he was running first in a three person race against uh, George H W Bush mm-hmm. and Bill Clinton, and I mean he was he was looking like he was in a fantastic position, and the numbers started following following uh, the more he talked, and uh, eventually you know he dropped out, <laughs> got back in, and he still did you know remarkably well, uh, all things considered. But well, you yeah, know, but I mean at least. You know, at least Ross Perot had something he was running on, right? That's like true. He was he was the anti-NAFTA candidate. He yeah. was all about you know a very old-fashioned idea of how trade policy should work, but still, and he he you know he was relentless on that. Like he was. What did what did what did McConaughey want to do? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> we still. That was a great question. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I think it was a very different, you're right. I mean, there are similarities with Ross Perot, but at least with Perot, you know, he, he had something. He had there was agenda. substance. Yeah. It was yeah. kind of, it was, it was, it was, it was Gramps. It was basically Grandpa's agenda. That's right. <laughs> and Grandpa's cranky and my airtime. And <laughs> I couldn't imagine McConaughey doing that, you know. Well, since I, I'd like to think we're the the only podcast recently that has talked that has mentioned uh, Ross Perot and, and Matthew McConaughey in the same sentence, so I'm, I'm proud of that. And <laughs> on that note, we're going to wrap things up. Hope everyone's doing well, and we'll be back next week. Take care.